listening to Law and Gospel on this December the 21st in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we only have three days left where we are live on KFUO because beginning Thursday, there are no more live programs until January, about the 7th, I believe it is. So at this point, what are we going to do for three days? We are going to examine the lessons today for the first Sunday after Christmas. Uh, tomorrow, with Mark Smith, we're going to take a look at the hymn, Let All Together Praise Our God. And then on Wednesday, which is the last day that we're live in 2020, I'm going to do something a little special dealing with the Christmas theme. And so we're going to skip CFW Walther's Law and Gospel. We only have about three or four more weeks on that, and we'll continue that when we get back in January. And we will be concluding, therefore, his theses. First Sunday after Christmas, December the 27th, 2020, there are three readings. Uh, the one is from Isaiah 61. It's the Old Testament reading. The epistle is from Galatians chapter 4, but the gospel is from Luke chapter 2, and it's verses 22 to 40. That's quite a length in reading, but it is really important. The time came for the purification of Jesus according to the law of Moses. So Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, that's what Mary and Joseph were doing. They had left their town of Nazareth, traveled to Jerusalem in order to do what was written in the law of the Lord. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. When you think about how many people are described in the Old and New Testament that appear not to have sinned, the list is pretty short. Because a lot of times when God chooses leaders, they also are found to be great sinners, like David with Bathsheba, etc., the two that I think about is, of course, Daniel. I don't recall anything in the book of Daniel where Daniel had sinned. He was righteous before the Lord. Remember, he was thrown into the den of lions and he was protected. And then you have Simeon here. And it says, he was righteous and devout. Well, did that mean that neither of those two men needed a Savior? 
Just because the Bible doesn't list sins for some of the characters mentioned in the Bible doesn't mean that they were not sinners because they were born in sin and iniquity. And they needed to become righteous. This can be really confusing to people reading the Bible when they hear that Simeon was righteous and devout. And so you think, well, was he that good? Did he never sin? But once more, Scripture interprets Scripture. I'll tell you about another individual from the Old Testament who was declared to be righteous, and we know he was a sinner because a number of his sins are indicated, and that is none other than Abraham. That's right. Abraham was told by God that he and Sarah, who is way past childbearing age, would have a son named Isaac, and he would be a blessing to all the nations. Now, Sarah kind of giggled at that when she heard it, but it says, Abraham believed, and God declared him to be righteous. See, this is the huge difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. In every other religion in the world, you become righteous by your deeds, obeying the will of the God that you think exists. And therefore, you attempt to please him so that he will save you. But not in Christianity. No, righteousness is a declaration by God to you, not on account of your works, but on account instead of the faith you have. Well, how do we know that Simeon had faith? The very next phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort to Israel, and then to really underscore that he had received faith, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this is not referring to the sacrament of holy baptism, where the Holy Spirit becomes within you, but nobody in the entire Bible ever came to faith without the motivation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the individual who brings you to faith. And it was that faith waiting for the consolation of Israel. Verse 26 of Luke chapter 2 also says, It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, the Lord refers to God, and the word Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. This is the promised one that we find talked about throughout the Old Testament. And in fact, it is Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who is mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament in his pre-incarnate state. It had been revealed to him that he would not see death. Well, 
how did he end up being in the temple at the very same time that Mary and Joseph and Jesus had come to the temple? The next verse. And he came in the spirit into the temple. Now, we're not giving any guidance as to how the spirit communicated to Simeon. It could be in a vision, could be in a dream. It could be as Gabriel was talking to Zacharias and Mary that an angel appeared to him and told him this truth. But he was at any rate in the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus in order to do for Jesus according to the custom of the law. Now, I recall some years ago, after having gone through an adult instruction class, uh, there were about 16 people who were in the class, and most of them joined the Lutheran Church. I recall about three weeks after that confirmation, because in order to commune, you must be confirmed. It would be wrong for a pastor to commune anyone who has not been confirmed in the sense of proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And therefore, they may be a baptized member of the church, but they're not a confirmed member. And those promises need to be heard by the congregation so that the pastor is able to commune a person. Now, there are some circumstances, like during war, where chaplains are able to commune soldiers who believe what the Lutheran Church teaches. But in a congregation, that's why we confirm members. At any rate, after the confirmation, about three weeks, we were giving out the Lord's Supper, and one of the women who had been confirmed came to the altar to receive the body and blood of Christ, and she was crying, and I didn't know why. So after the service, I asked her, no, why were you crying? Did something happen in your life? She said, no, during the sermon, you had indicated that what we sing after the Lord's Supper is really the words of Simeon that he told to Mary and Joseph in the temple. That's verses 29 to 32. I'll read it in the ESV first. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now, Mary and Joseph marveled at what Simeon was saying about Jesus. He then blessed them and said, specifically to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, 
and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What's the sword that's going to pierce through Mary? That's the crucifixion of her son, Jesus Christ. So that's something also the wise men had kind of indicated when one of the gifts that they brought to Mary for Jesus was embalming fluid. Now, yesterday in worship, we, of course, had the Lord's Supper, and we sang what's referred to as the Nunc Dimittis. Now let me depart, or let us depart, called the Song of Simeon, and in the hymnal, it even says Luke 2, 29 to 32. And this is what is sung after the Lord's Supper. O Lord, now let your servant depart in heavenly peace, for I have seen the glory of your redeeming grace, a light to lead the Gentiles unto your holy hill, the glory of your people, your chosen Israel. All glory to the Father, all glory to the Son, all glory to the Spirit, forever three in one. For as in the beginning is now shall ever be, God's triune name resounding through all eternity. So much of the liturgy is, of course, quotations from the Bible. And the reason the woman was crying is that I had mentioned in the sermon that Simeon, as it says in the Bible, was taking up in his arms Jesus and blessing God, saying, now I may depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, referring to none other than Jesus. And the reason that she was weeping is because, well, at communion, we don't take Jesus up in our arms, but we take his very body and blood into our mouths, in with and under the bread and the wine. And remember, one of the items that an individual has to have an appropriate Lord's Supper is proper faith. And that's why the need for confirmation, so that the whole congregation can be witnesses to the faith that is necessary to receive the Lord's Supper appropriately. It's not that those who don't receive the Lord's Supper are going to hell. No, but it's clear from 1 Corinthians 11 that if there is not a proper understanding of the Lord's Supper, then sickness and death may result from taking a valid Lord's Supper without proper understanding. That's why we practice close or closed communion. And it is part of the vows of pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, not to commune someone who has not been confirmed so that there can be an assurance on the part of the congregation that that is what 
is truly present. So Joseph and Mary marvel at what Simeon said about him because Simeon was speaking with the power of the Holy Spirit and talking about Jesus as the salvation of the world. And it wasn't only Simeon. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Now, remember, you had Zacharias, who would take care of the temple every now and then. And it's where Gabriel told him that John the baptizer would be born. He really doubted it because of the age of his wife. And so he became mute until John the Baptist was born. So Anna was the daughter of one of these individuals who took care of the temple. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was married, and then as a widow until she was 84. So he died seven years into the marriage. She was now 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, perhaps also by the power of the Holy Spirit, when Joseph and Mary and Jesus were in the temple, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't mean, although some thought that, that the redemption of Jerusalem would be freedom from the Romans. No. The redemption of Jerusalem, which was the city that God had decided to put the temple in, was therefore a holy place, and Jerusalem is described as the place that believers are going to go into heaven. And when they go to heaven, they're in the new Jerusalem, and that's described in the book of Revelation. And she says, this is the one that you have been waiting for. Now, if, if you do a study of what people thought the Messiah was in first century when Jesus was born, it's notable that they did not think of Jesus as a suffering Messiah. By and large, most of them believed that the Messiah would be a victorious almighty person who would get rid of the Romans, who would be able to feed people, remember the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, that he would unite individuals and restore Jerusalem to its former grandeur. That's why the disciples were really confused when in Mark, Jesus tells them, I'm going to Jerusalem and I will be having a struggle with the elders, the chief priests, 
that is the Sadducees, and I will be crucified. I will die. I will be killed. But then I will rise three days later. Obviously, Peter didn't appear to hear about the rising because it made no sense to him. This Messiah that they believed in, it was kind of a level of milk. People believe in the milk of the word, and the purpose of going to church and Bible study is to get up to the meat of the word. In fact, I'm doing a Bible study right now in two of the churches where we talk about how to understand a passage from the point of view of the milk of the word. And then I say, but here is the meat of the word. And I give them some instruction that they have never heard before. For example, with the feeding of the 5,000, it says there were 12 baskets full of food left over. The feeding of the 4,000, there were seven baskets. Now that's what the English says. But if you go to the original Greek, the word for basket in regard to the feeding of the 5,000 is a basket that Jews would use. And the word for basket is really the Roman basket. And so here's where we find that the feeding of the 5,000 was mainly for Jewish people who were hearing him. And the feeding of the 4,000 was in an area where Gentiles would be receiving this food. And seven baskets meant there were kind of hundreds of loaves left over. Jesus did not give a snack to the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000. He gave a full meal with lots of leftovers. So what's the theological significance? There's no distinction in God's mind between the gifts that come to Jews and the gifts that come to Gentiles. Both are part of the kingdom of God. And therefore, what we find here is the meat of the word where God makes clear his love and his salvation to both Jew and Gentile. Paul talks about that. There's no distinction between male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Now, he's not talking there aren't distinctions because, for example, with male and female, only males are permitted to be preachers and only females are permitted to have babies. But even though there are differences between the sexes and between the nations and between somebody who's free and a slave, before Almighty God, there's no distinction at all. If you have faith in the words of Jesus and what he has done for you, then you also will be said by God the same thing that he said about Simeon. You are righteous and devout. That's what he had said, you remember, to Abraham. Now, the text ends in Luke 2, verse 39. And when they had perform performed everything according to the law of the Lord, 
they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now, what does that mean? Jesus learned from the Old Testament that as the Messiah, he was born to die. In fact, we put that up at Christmas on a sign outside our church. Christ was born in order to die. That's what Christmas is all about, that he was becoming a human being to take upon himself our sins. And by taking upon himself our sins and dying for them, he paid the price that we could not pay in order to have our sins forgiven. And he grew in wisdom. He grew in knowledge. So that in a state of humiliation, he did not know all things at all times. And so that's what happened when, as a child, the Bible says that he grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. So that's Luke chapter 2. I'm Tom Baker. Tomorrow with Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the hymn, Let All Together Praise Our God. And then Wednesday, uh, the last broadcast live in 2020 of Law and Gospel, we'll be talking about something special at Christmas. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.